a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates, hobby talk like you've never seen it. Sports cards live and I could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. All right, everybody, welcome to episode number 213 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, January the 20th, 2024. My name is Jeremy Lee. I would like to thank everybody who tuned in last weekend, our episode with Dave Schwartz, Iowa Dave. You can check that out on the YouTube channel. Next Saturday night, our guest is Filth Bomb Breaks. We're going to get into all the questions that we've ever wanted to ask group breakers here on the channel on Sports Cards Live. Tomorrow night, we have the PWCC Hockey auction ending watch party, as usual, with Josh Madigan of the Hockey Cards Gong Show. And then on Monday, Michael Hathaway joins me for another episode of MC Mondays Live. Be sure to join us both nights for a couple of fun, fun evenings. All right, guys, please join close to half a million people who have downloaded the Center Stage app across both iOS and Android for quick and accurate comps to price your cards, whether you are at home or at a card show, you can build, organize, and share your collection with your friends and find other follower, other collectors to follow using their social sharing features. So check out their Instagram account and please join me in supporting the great team they have and the innovation they are undertaking. Also, please use protection, practice safe swaps. Veriswap is an app and middleman service that lets you securely trade cards through the mail. Every transaction up to a million dollars in value is fully insured by their guarantee. Check them out on iOS and Android, and join me and founder of Veriswap, Raymond Lee, every second Tuesday on Instagram Live for the Veriswap Trade Desk. That's a little, a fun little 10 to 15 minute live we do there. I want to shout out hobbynewsdaily.com. Check out that website for great hobby content. It's a collaboration of several content creators and writers. And also shout out to Leighton Sheldon, Just Collect. He'll be joining us for the Vintage Spotlight a little bit later tonight. Also, you can now buy and sell tag-graded cards on ComC. Tag's new TagX grading service is a game changer. And Pokemon, Lorcana, and other rounded corner TCGs are now eligible for grading. Visit taggrading.com if you value transparency and consistency in your card grading. want to thank all partners, sponsors, and of course, our loyal viewers and listeners for your ongoing support. If you are not yet subscribed to the channel or the podcast, please take a moment and do so. As always, your comments and your questions are in play, so let's get to it. Tonight's guest started in the hobby in the early 90s when his dad bought him packs of 92-93 Pro Set hockey cards on his way home from work. He left the hobby in the late 90s, came back in late 2020 after hearing a lot of people say, have you seen what's happening with sports cards on podcasts and, and, and then some? He started his YouTube channel in October 2022. His favorite players of all time are Mario Lemieux, Joel Embiid and his favorite teams of all time are the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Philadelphia 76ers. He's originally from Hong Kong, grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, currently hailing from Toronto, Ontario. Let's bring him out. Simon Chan, welcome to the show, but one second. Simon, are you there? I'm here. Thanks for having me on, Jeremy. It's it's, going to be a great time. Great chat. Good to good to have you, Simon. Really good to have you. Um, I have to say, I am I am experiencing this weird technical issue here with the studio, where I'm not seeing anything again. All I see is a blank screen in front of me. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to ask you to give me one moment here while I just refresh the screen. I'm going to go out and come back in. So Simon, say hello to people. I'll be right back, and hopefully this is rectified. All right, sounds good. So right back. sounds good. So thanks to everybody for joining. I see there's there's Linda here, Barry, 90s card collector, Mike, 86 collectibles, Jacob, Perk, and Eddie, who I met at the national. All right. You held it down good. I am back. I can see now. Welcome back to the show, Simon. Again. Good to have you. What were you just saying when I was uh, when I was away for a minute there? I literally read off the names of everybody in the chat, including one person who I met at the National in Chicago uh, six months ago. 
Okay. Well, good. I'm, uh, thank you. Thank you for doing that. So Simon has said hello to all of you guys already. Welcome everybody to the show. Simon, let's learn a bit about you. I've been, you know, I kind of, I titled this show an MBA's thoughts on sports card hobby issues. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your, your education, your professional background to set the context for how you approach some of these issues that we're going to talk about. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I have a master's in economics. I have an MBA. Uh, and then after I graduated, I started working for a major corporation, let's say, where I did business analysis. And so these things, economics, business, and data analysis are the three pillars, I would say, of the channel, uh, of my channel. And I created the channel, like I said, like you said, 2020, because I, in my professional life, I moved away from those three things. I was doing something else for a, a better opportunity, but I kind of missed it. And I knew that at some point I might need to go back to that part of my life. And if I didn't keep on thinking about things from like a data analysis perspective, telling stories with data, it's gonna be a muscle that I lose. And so that's why I created the channel to do something, create content, but also just being able to make sure that I'm able to tell good stories, be able to tell stories with data and then sports cars are fun. So let's do something fun with that information and stuff. Right. Or that, that. Okay. Yeah, good. Now tell us a little bit about your collecting history. I kind of went through it there in the intro, but a bit about, you know, what are you collecting nowadays? What, uh, what gets your, your hobby juices flowing? Yeah. So when I grew up in the nineties, I'm from Edmonton. So you have to love hockey. It's kind of a prerequisite for living there. Right. So, uh, so I collected hockey cards all through the nineties uh then more recently i've become a basketball guy we can get into why that happened um and so now i basically collect a modern not quite ultra modern because the pop counts are out of control and i don't really believe in them being sustainable long term in terms of pricing um but mostly i, I focus on on joel and bead and some of the other uh, and other goats from like previous years uh so i've got like a kobe bryant card i got a tim duncan card uh, I bought a Nikola Jokic card recently, so that's that's where I'm focused on. And are you? Do you? So you've you've just identified three players. Now you mentioned one card. Or do you have your sights set on on building out those little player collections to more than one card, or are you the kind of collector who's happy having one card of a player? So I there is one set that I wanted to build out. It's 2007 Topps Chrome Basketball. Uh, so I have the Kobe in an X-Fractor, which is out, numbered out of 50. And so I was thinking I could get all of the GOATs. So that's like Shaq, LeBron, uh, and I have the Tim Duncan as well. So maybe I get those other two and have those four all X-Fractors out of 50, which is the lowest serial numbered ones, other than Superfractor, which is impossible, obviously. And then, then I have like a little like uh, a GOAT X-Fractor collection from 2007 Tops Chrome, which to me has the best photography uh, in terms of basketball anyways, of all time. Like the, the pictures, the action shots are incredible. And I think they're beautiful looking cards. That's a great reason to collect uh, something is because of the photography. I don't know how many people have come on here and said, I collect this because of the beautiful photography. Uh, probably less than, you know, one, one person for each finger on one hand. So uh, kudos to you for that. And, and it's, it's, an, it's a great way. I mean, we, we do want to look at these things and, and enjoy them. So Good on, and X fractors are, are among my favorite. Uh, X fractors, atomic refractors. I love I love those cards across all sports that that, is, that have had them and, and all years. I think they're always they're always beautiful. All right, well, let's get into some topics here. Uh, first one I want to touch on is dealers and flippers. And just for the audience' sake, Simon four six six cards on YouTube. Check out his YouTube channel. Uh, how often do you put out videos? A uh, new video comes out every Wednesday and Sunday and occasionally sometime in between as well, but usually Wednesday and Sundays. So about twice a week. Yeah. And so, you know, in, in having Simon, I've been watching Simon's content for a while now. I kind of picked some of my, my favorites or the ones that I found the most interesting and thought, well, why don't we, why don't we do a little bit of a sort of a summary discussion on some of them here? And that's what we're going to do. We're going to go through the ones that, that I chose. And uh, the first one, dealers versus flippers. You did, you've done an, ep you've done a video on that. And you know, I'm going to start with how I see it, and then I'm going to turn the the mic over to you. But you know, I I feel like dealers and flippers are almost the same thing. It really it depends how you define it. But how do I define it? I define a dealer as a more, I would say, almost professional 
person who buys and sells cards either for a living or as a or as a side hustle and and the dealer is a bit more professional maybe they also have a card shop or maybe they do the whole card show circuit and they set up a table and therefore they have some overhead whereas flippers when i think of that word i think of somebody who maybe is less professional about it now not less in with less integrity although that will be the case in some cases but less professional in that they may not have a card shop like an LCS, a bricks and mortar. So they may not have overhead that way paying rent and they may not set up a table at, at the card shows on the circuit, but they're, they're working the, they're working the room, buying and selling, working social media. And so maybe to me, a flipper is somebody who is like a dealer, but without the overhead. And I want to say that there will be flippers who have higher integrity than some dealers. Right. That that it's not to me, the word flipper doesn't have negative connotation, even though I think to the greater hobby and some of the narrative, it does have a negative connotation. So with that being my thoughts, I'm going to pass it over to you, what you think of this and, and how you look at it. Yeah, I think you address my thoughts as well. They're very close to it. It's flippers have this negative connotation to them where whenever you say flipper in the hobby, it's like, oh, the flipper is the flippers are here to you know, do their thing. Whereas when you hear dealer, most people are pretty uh, neutral about them, right? But at the end of the day, they do the same thing. You buy, whether you're a flipper or a dealer, you buy at whatever, 70, 75, 80, 65% comps, and then you sell them closer to 100% comps. And it's just how you do it, right? Dealers are more, they have their shows, they have tables, whereas flippers do it more online and, and they do it more over the internet. But at the end of the day, they do the same function. You buy cards cheap and you sell cards closer to comps. And that's why I'm confused why flippers have this negative connotation to it because they serve the same function in the hobby. They, they provide liquidity to people and they get cards to uh, people that want to buy them. So it just it doesn't make much sense to me that there's this weird connotation to flippers and not dealers. Yeah, I agree. That last thing you said is that they get cards to people that want to buy them. That's to me, I see the 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 flipper and the dealer. This applies to the dealer too, but the flippers just add more depth to the to that service, which is you know we we see it online. You you can watch various flipper content where they are working the card show room. They're grabbing cards in Dallas, and then they're going to be in Atlanta, and they're going to move them to Atlanta, and then they're going to move them to Burbank, and then they're going to go to the expo in Toronto, and then they're going to go to the Chicago spectacular. Then they're going to go to Strongsville, right? Like, I mean, yeah. me dealers and flippers, I think, I think a lot of flippers will eventually become dealers, mm -hmm. right? It's not yeah. some, some will, but to me, they are an integral part of the overall ecosystem of the hobby in that they are helping move cards from one market to another. And personally, I like that because I've seen flippers come to my booth in Toronto. And I mean, it's like, oh, hey, I, I know you. I've seen you at the Del Mar show, the Burbank show, the National, all these shows. And here you are bringing cards that you've acquired across North America into this market that hasn't seen these cards before. So more selection, more variety. So I think that's a great service that they provide. I think where they have the negative connotation, I want to get your thoughts on this too, is you kind of alluded to it, Simon, when you said, you know, whether you're buying cards at 65% of comps or whatever, or 80 or 90 or 95, you know, that's where I think flippers get a bad, a, a bad rap reputation because they may want to only pay 70% of comps so that they can make enough profit to pay for their flights and hotels and, and everything else that they need to, to live. Right. So what do you think, Simon, is the right if you're going to be a flipper someone who does the card show circuit and you are buying and selling cards to support your travel and and, and your your side hustle or, or your main hustle if that's what it is what do you feel like is a fair rate to pay the dealers and what do you think the dealers at the shows or collectors for that matter should be comfortable selling to flippers for on a on a percent of comp basis I mean, that's an interesting question. It's, I would say, depending on the card, right? Because if it's 
five-figure car, you could probably play closer to comps because that differential on 15, 20% is going to be a massive number anyways. Whereas if it's a hundred or $150 card, even a $50 card, you're going to have to have a much wider, um, much wider margin there. Right. So, I, but I, I don't know. I, I would say for this one, maybe 20, 25% or 75 to 80% is fine, but even dealers will have to pay that because they have to pay for the tables, right? They have to pay for all those overhead costs. And I feel like the, Margin should be roughly the same for the both of them. Um, so 75, 80. Now, obviously, we know uh, these flippers and these dealers, they're as part of their negotiation, right? They're going to start you super low, right? For through whatever, and then they'll work their way up. But that's just kind of the nature of the game, right? So, and I, yeah, I mean, there, there, there's a couple things. They're providing liquidity. Now, this yep. is dealers, anyone who's buying cards to resell. So, flippers to use just a, a convenient term. They're providing liquidity to people who want to get out of cards and then have that cash to go buy cards they want more or enter more breaks or bust more product or whatever it is they want to do. Take money out of the hobby, whatever whatever they want to do. They, these guys are providing that that liquidity. And you know, here's you know, another thing I, I think about as a as someone who has set up at card shows as a dealer, like a lot of the car, a lot of times I'll have cards in my showcase that I paid. You know, maybe I bought a big collection for tens of thousands of dollars, and maybe my maybe I ended up paying forty to sixty percent of comp because I outlaid that much cash up front. In other cases, I'm buying cards at retail all the time, and those might eventually make it into my showcase if I fall out of love with it. I don't want it for myself anymore, and now that's it. so I could have two cards in my showcase. One of them, and both priced at a hundred dollars. One of them I paid 50. Let's just keep it simple for, keep it simple. One I paid 54, one I paid 100 or 110 or 120 or 95, whatever, really close to 100 or maybe even more. Now, a customer is going to come up to my booth and they're going to say, you know, what would you take on this one? And I'm going to say, you know what, I'm, I'm firm at $100. You know, I'm just not prepared to lock in a loss yet. I think it has potential. And then they'll say, what do you want on that one? And remember, they're both priced at 100. And I'll say, well, I could, you know, I could do 80 bucks on that one. And they're going to say, well, why can't you take 80 bucks on that one? Well, these cards have different stories. Have you ever thought about that as a customer at a card show? Is this something that you think people think about that, you know, because a lot of you had, you did a video, Simon, where you said, you know, one of the most annoying things to you is when someone says, well, I'm into it for this much. And you're like, yeah. I don't care what you're into it for. Nobody cares except you. And I agree with that. But just because you don't care that I'm too into it for something doesn't mean I have to come down to your price either. So what, just bring that all together. Yeah. I, it's yeah. That is one of the phrases that I just drives me up the wall is I am into this card for, yeah, it's like, well, tell your accountant because that's the only person that should care. Right. Uh, but I understand why people still are attached to whatever price they paid. But at the end of the day, if the market's saying that, well, oh, sorry, but you've lost 40, 50% of that, then it is what it is. If you're not willing to come down to it, to, to what regional market price is, then that's on you. That's not on me. And we can go about our way. Now, having said that, you can acknowledge that, yes, I'm sorry for your loss. It's almost like you have to grieve it. But then, but, you know, let look at my phone. It's like eight of these have sold in the last five months and it's been at this new price of $100. And I'm sorry you paid 150 for it. So I think it's, they are all kind of tied, right? And it is interesting at some shows where the dealers have the stuff way overpriced and you'll hear these stories about how you talk to them, they're like, oh, I'm into this card for whatever. And it's like, well, okay, then you're just going to like take that to your grave or something. Like <laughs> there's nothing you can really do about it uh, and just move on and hope they can find that card online or at the show or on social media. Someone else is selling that, that card and get it for a rate that's closer to, to market or save uh save a search on ebay so that when it pops up you can bid on it whatever you feel and if you get outbid you get outbid if not congratulations you got the card you and, want at the price yeah and 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 another another strategy as a buyer is you know get that dealer's contact information because a, a lot of times a dealer will have a card that it, that they know is priced more than recent comps but they're just not willing yet to get right. to move off that card they might want to wait a bit so if you keep in touch with them until they have they have kind of gotten over the um, the emotional the the emotional scars of losing money on the card. Yeah. You know, if, they, if they haven't learned that lesson quite enough, that you you know you can't win them all. You're going to lose money on cards sometimes as a dealer or flipper. Uh, if you keep in touch with that person, 
I think that eventually they may soften uh, and be willing to move and just salvage what they can, take the money, go buy something else, and just lock in that loss maybe at the end of the year when they're preparing for tax time is a good time to do that. Um, okay, let's go to some comments here. The professor, welcome, says, is the growth of repacking the growth of flippers? I think there's a, I think there is a correlation there because every, it seems like a lot of hobbyists are feeding the repack culture now because those people need to buy cards. So that's yep. been going on. That's been going on for, for 15 years now, but not at the scale it is today. A uh, fellow fireball says I have a job and work for my collection. I don't need to flip. I'm not a dolphin. That would be the title for today's episode. Comment of the night so far right there. Foul fireball. Perk says, I think the negative connotation comes from the idea of a flipper being a shark, swimming the waters, snatching up singles, and then getting the highest profit possible. That's capitalism as well. But the thing, as long as you are fair, if you are, if you are misleading your seller and saying, well, you know, these cards are worth five grand when really they're worth 10 and you're out, you know, you're offering three on five, but really you're getting three on 10. That is misleading. That is low integrity. I think we'd have an issue with that. That's where you're being a shark, right? So. Agreed. Bobby Baseball says anticipated margins are on a scale depending on price of items and the sense for demand. Yeah, I agree with that yeah. 100%. Uh, it's what you were saying, Simon, right? Yeah. that that And that's we see that with consignment sellers now too. They charge you a higher rate for the lower it sells because they, they need to make money to, to to cover their 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 resources, their labor and everything. But as the price goes up, they can take less because it means more absolute dollars. Makes sense. Uh, Perk here says, where a dealer more often than not is buying larger number of cards and generally just making enough of a profit to justify the work being put in. Well, I don't, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's, a, if we could say that generally, I think dealers will behave like flippers at times too when they have the opportunity to buy whatever at a great deal uh matthew welcome to the show 1956 tops guy laura had a flipper lunchbox does that qualify sure does and vintage card collector says so many dealers don't understand the sunk cost fallacy simon you woke simon up with that vintage speak to that simon oh uh, yeah the sunk cost fallacy is uh is the uh, i i think i made a money made a video about it but yeah basically you all you're so consumed with how much you paid for something that you're not willing to cut your losses, even though that might be the best moves. Sure, you bought this card for five hundred dollars, now it's worth three hundred, but you could better use that three hundred dollars to do something else because that three hundred dollar card might become a two hundred dollar card and a one hundred dollar card. And because you still think that there's some chance of getting back to five hundred, you're not willing to move that money to something else that has a better upside. So, uh, or something that'll just make you happier. Maybe whatever it is, right? So I think the sunk cost fallacy is. Is definitely definitely I play a lot in the hobby, especially as prices have gone down the last couple of years. And I think part of the reason why it's at play a lot is because this hobby and the the widgets that we collect within it, you know, they have emotional and nostalgic value, which is partially why it's harder to get off a card. If you really like the card, you know, if it's just inventory, then who cares? Move it, get cash, right? liquidate get the cash reinvest and and, and figure out a, a better strategy moving forward but if you have any emotional or nostalgic value associated to it it's going to be harder to get off of a card that you feel you might lose money on cardboard profit in the chat says great discussion i try to preach nobody cares what you paid to anybody who will listen being scared to ever lose on anything is what holds a lot of people back from making better moves yeah and t dot says uh, Jeremy, what is your relative hold collection relative to say? I don't know what that, I don't know what you're asking T dot hold collection relative to sale. I don't understand the question T dot try to reword it for me. Please dumb it down if you can. Okay. Simon, um, let's move on. Leighton will be joining us for the vintage spotlight in about five or six minutes. So I wouldn't mind getting through one more topic if we can. Uh, the next one on my list is the hobby positivity debate or narrative out there. I think that's too good. Let's do sticker autographs first. I want let's cover off sticker. I think we can do that one quicker. Where do you fall on sticker autographs? So sticker autographs, I understand why the the manufacturers, the companies, they need to do it because of timing and logistics and all of that. Having said that, I think they don't generally they don't look very good on cards. I've seen a couple that are designed very nicely and so that the sticker kind of like blends in 
or there's like a spot that kind of really fits it. But generally, they don't look very good, and you're probably with me on that one. But uh, the idea that I had in a video and that I, I, I took from someone on Instagram, I believe, because I saw it, is what if you took the sticker auto off of the card and you got that exact same player to actually do an in-person auto on it and replace it with an on-card auto, give them, you know, the magic pen that will stay on for forever. And then that debt suddenly all this, your card is now special because it's the only one of the entire set that is an on-card auto. And, um, and I think that was a really fun and interesting idea. I never thought about that before, but as these athletes, especially the ones that are retired are doing a lot more in-person signings. I think it's a fun idea. It makes your card unique to everything, everybody, uh, to every other card that was in the print run. And it's it's a fun idea for people to do, right? Well, let's so let's let, let me think this through for a second. So I pull a sticker auto out of a pack. I peel the sticker off the card. You know, assuming I do no damage by with my fingernail, or yeah. I don't even know how I would go about doing that. I I'd be more scared to take a sticker off a sticker auto off a card than I am to smash into a slab to break a slab. You know, I I'd feel less confident with a sticker with tape peeling off a sticker. So you peel it off and then you take that card to the player and get that player to sign it. So, I mean, that's interesting because you've kind of, you've kind of dipped yourself into the exceptions that are seem to be allowed in our hobby, which are, you know, don't, don't take a card and write on it. Don't, don't write somebody's name on a card because well, now you're marking the card, but if the player on the card autographs the card, that's the one exception that we seem to be okay with to putting ink or pencil on a card is if the player signs it that's okay right so it's it's an exception to a to a general rule the other rule is we don't want to alter the card from how it came out of the pack so taking the sticker off is altering the card from how it came out of the pack but is that gonna is that like this is out for uh, this is out to pull like is the hobby gonna be okay with somebody taking a sticker off only if they are then going to get it signed in person by the by by the uh, the athlete pictured, and you need some evidence with it because all of a sudden now the back of the because we're keep in mind also the back of the card is going to have a an authentic an LOA that's going to say you know that you've congratulations you've received a card with the autograph of you know of LeBron James but but now that isn't the same autograph that's still there and who's going to believe that it was his in person autograph so. Respond to that because I'm just listen. I don't have a thought on this yet. I'm just trying to think it through on the fly here. Yeah, I I also have never done this, and I don't plan on doing it. It's just an interesting idea that I found online. But yeah, I think there the one concern that you brought up is a valid one. Is the the authenticity guarantee written on the back of the card about how this autograph is is guaranteed by Panini or Tops, Fanatics, whoever? Uh, it is a fair concern. I think the way you get around that is whenever you get the sell the card or whatever you make it known this is what you've done and you have that what, what's the word provenance of uh of of here's the chain of events uh maybe you when you maybe you get it graded and then you tell psa bgs sgc whoever here's what happened note it however way you think is the best way and then you go from there um the one the the one piece i will say though is if you're nervous about peeling the sticker off, right? I do have a solution for that. You just buy the cheapest sticker auto from that set. So some no-name player who's never who's, who's worth like you buy the card for like two bucks and you practice. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. You, it's like two bucks to practice to rip it off, and yeah. then you kind of learn kind of what you need to do and what not to do. That's right, my best yeah. guess on 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 that piece at the very least. Yeah, no, it's an interesting. Let's go through the the chat. See what the chat says. Then once we're done that, we'll bring we'll bring Leighton on for the vintage spotlight. You have a question for Leighton, don't you, Simon? I do. I do. All right. All right. So first off, Laura here says, um, bottom line, what is your connection to the card? Do you keep or sell the card? Yeah. I think Laura, that's a great question. It depends how what your approach is. Uh, T dot clarifies. Thank you. T dot says how much of, of your total card holdings are my keepers? Yeah. I mean, so great question. T dot. I understand it. Now he goes on to say curious as I bought from you at a show. Well, that, that is going to change all the time, depending on what I have. Right now, I'm at a very low amount of non-keepers. So I think I calculated I have about like non-binder cards, non-like 
slabs and top loaded cards and i don't i don't use it's either slab or top loader for me i think i've got just between 18 and 1900 cards right now personally and then in my trader box i probably have uh it's one two row box with a couple of extra stacks call it 200 cards maybe maybe not quite maybe 160 uh that way but i've i that that number fluctuates for me uh regularly uh t dot uh foul five ball says i like sticker autos they look better than on card after 20 years so many on card autos do fade yeah, we've seen that happen. Mookie says, or peel your sticker off and put it on another card. How about you make your own dual auto with two stickers? Yeah, lots of things you can do with that. Tito says, how do you buy a card you love and sell it? You fall out of love with it. That happens a lot. Right? Taste, taste change. We evolve. Things change. Uh, Linda, Michael says, I'd rather wait for an on-card redemption. But that means that you that the card that Simon was talking about isn't isn't special to you. And this is where the card is something that you you actually like. So that's an option, but that isn't really the the, the spirit of, of, I think, what we were talking about exactly. And then finally, Cardboard Profit says, peeling off the sticker and then getting an in-person auto. Sounds like we're turning this card into something that ends up in one of those PSA trading card slabs. Yeah, yeah, sounds like it's a, it's a different sort of thing now all of a sudden. Uh, Simon, any final comments before we start the Vintage Spotlight with Leighton? Yeah, it is a tricky topic just because of that guarantee on the back of the card. And that's the piece that that's... I haven't fully solved for. But maybe it is that trading card thing that the last person said. Like maybe that's what we do. It is just you send it to PSA and have them only authenticate the autograph and nothing else. And yeah, get get it slapped. The other option is just just take a, a pen and scratch out the COA on the back of the card. Now it's not there anymore. <laughs> I kid. I kid, of course. All right, guys. We're going to bring out Mr... Leighton Sheldon, Just Collect, Vintage Breaks, Trading Card Therapy is his podcast. Leighton, I missed you last Saturday. Uh, I know that our guest missed you last Saturday. I'm glad you're back. How are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. And uh, how are you, Simon? Good, good, good. Nice to meet you, virtually. Yeah, nice to meet you as well. Well, let's uh, let's jump right in, Leighton. And, uh, you know, actually, no, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it around. I want to ask you. Anything you'd like to update me, the chat on with what's going on with you in the last couple of weeks, anything new, you got any shows coming up and then we'll get Simon to ask you his question. Sure. So uh, I know everyone likes a little vintage, you know, gossip, a little vintage highlight. Uh, I'll post it in the next few days and I'll tag the show. So I looked at a collection in the last week. I started appraising it. The gentleman happens to be let's just say, able to get to our office via car without giving any, you know, thing away. And he tells me about a collection that started with his great-great-grandfather was born in 1899. And there is over 1,000 T206s. Every single one of the T206s is in a nine-pocket sheet. So they're not in the regular sheets. But he has a total of nine cobs, and what I'll post is six of them are in one sheet. And you might ask, like, why aren't all nine together? He was very well organized, or is very well organized, and <laughs> so well organized, he actually divided it all by backs. Mm. So six of the cobs, I believe, were sweet caps, three of them were Piedmonts. And so it took a little bit of calculation to kind of figure it all out. But nonetheless, very excited about it. I'll, I'll post a sneak peek because, you know, all we're doing right now is appraising it. We're hoping to be able to buy it. Uh, so that's one piece of news. And then in the last 48 hours, uh, we've been set up and exhibiting at the White Plains show. Uh, we actually haven't done that show as an exhibitor probably in 10 years. Uh, so that's really uh, been quite the treat the last few days because today my son joined me. And uh, yesterday was, excuse me, Friday was solo. So yesterday, I guess. And uh, it seemed like today the show felt like the market is very strong. Yesterday, I don't think it had anything to do with the market. The snowstorm and all the pending ice really kept people away from the show. But today, uh, everyone was in good spirits and it was very busy. So that's kind of the quick report there. I appreciate it. No, it's always nice to hear, uh, especially from like the same day, what the general vibes are at a show. And it's nice to hear that. It sounds to me like what you're saying is, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm going to make an assumption, but the show was busy. There was, it sounded like just from what you said, good vibes, good feelings, people were happy. 
Is that what you're what you kind of felt? Oh, I was quite candidly very surprised because it was almost like a 180 of yesterday. And you don't really know this day and age with everything going on economically and, you know, in the world. And then, of course, in our little niche in the hobby, um, it, 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 there was no guarantees of today. So, of course, I was very appreciative and grateful. Forget about the business. It was just busy. You know, people were asking questions. People wanted to say hi. I mean, there was, there was a lot of stuff going on. So it was really nice to see. Good to hear. All right. Well, let's get to it. Simon, you have a question for Mr. Leighton Sheldon. Uh, Mookie Chilson says, going to White Plains tomorrow. We'll come say hello, Leighton. Be sure you do, Mookie. That's cool. And with that, Simon, over to you. Let's uh, let's hear your question for Leighton. Well, there's, a, there's an update to the question because my wife was out at a party and she mentioned what I, what I was doing tonight. And then this guy just says, oh, give me a second. I have a question for you whips out an OPG Gretzky rookie card. It's like, is this worth anything? And like, now I have pictures of it and I have to explain what grading is and all this kind of stuff. Anyways, so you hear a lot of these stories about people digging cards out from, you know, sellers, attics, basements, closets, storage facilities, whatever. And then these collections kind of come into the open. Do you think there is a collection out there that has been undiscovered? It's in, in some grandfather's closet that has not been discovered it's waiting to be discovered and it has a bunch of high grade basically grails that will you know maybe it's like a 52 mantle and like a nine or or whatever or a ruth or a jackie robinson or, or honus or whatever do you think that exists out there and and do you think that that this crazy collection will be discovered within the next five years or what are the chances are that you think this will be discovered in the next five years if you think it even exists well, it's a great question, Simon. And I pause because I'm going to start by saying no. Hmm. There's not going to be one. Oh, there's oh, going I to know. be several. several. <laughs> yeah, there's no question in my mind. And, you know, there's a few reasons, at least, that I feel that's the case. And I think that it really just stems down to, or comes down to the prices that people when I say people outside of the hobby, right, outside of our niche, they're hearing about some wild things that are happening. And there are not only a lot of folks who live in our country in the United States right now, but there's still a lot of stuff in Canada. There's some interesting things in Mexico. And so as people have both lived here and now they might live abroad between what's been put in safety deposit boxes or forgotten about, i.e. this, you know, I don't know if anyone uh, on the show today has heard about, but I saw Derek and Jason from Heritage, and I kind of got a little bit more of the details of the great wax find that they had. They had me, like, drooling. I, I thought I needed a medic at the, you know, at the show. Um, there's a lot of things out there, I believe, that are going to still be discovered. I don't know, Simon, if I can definitively say, will there be a high-grade 52 tops mantle and a 9? I think there might be because that card was kind of found in quantities. And I don't know if anyone can figure out if they've all been discovered or rediscovered from the Rosen find. But like putting that aside for a minute, it's really hard to say if something will be discovered in high grade. Because, uh, of course, those chances are even more difficult. Um, but then you had things like the Black Swan find. Uh, but like I said, and I didn't know exactly what you're going to ask today, Simon, but literally in the last seven or eight days, just very anonymous, you know, under the radar person representing his family. And by the way, that's not all the cards in the collection. There's about 1,200 T206s. You know, there's a few hundred T205s and a few hundred T207s. And they just, they made a lot of those cards back then. And when you fast forward by decade, there was more awareness. And then, of course, there's just random freak chance of maybe someone ran a five a dime. They closed things down with X amount of inventory. Wasn't worth enough at the time to sell. So they just put it away to be rediscovered a generation or possibly even two, you know, later on. It's very cool. It's very cool. Like these, these stories I find very interesting um, of, of discovering collections that have not, you know, have not literally seen the light of day for 40, 50, 60 years. It's, it's, it's always cool. It does feel like though, and maybe I'm alone in this, but like every time we hear about it, like the black swamp find Leighton or, a big significant find from an attic when a house is being demoed or whatever it is, you know, grandma, grandpa dies and the kids go to up in the attic and clear it out. And there's, you know, her father's collect, whatever it is. 
the feeling I get is that, you know, this is the last one. And maybe it's just like, how many more, like, how many more of these can there really be? But like you said, Leighton, there's not going to be one more. There's going to be several more of these over the years, even though sometimes I feel like this has to be the last one. And I wonder if I'm, I'm, I might be alone in that. I don't know, but I get a kick out of it that it sometimes does. Uh, I, I do, I do think that way. Uh, but I think, you know, you know, when, when I put on my logic hat, I think that um, with the size of the U S and the, the Northeast, and like you said, Leighton, you can go into Canada, especially the, you know, Ontario and Quebec regions, Mexico, uh, there's, bound to be more like we just heard about that 51 bowman wax pack that was found in a inside yep. staircase i mean it's not bowman. a humongous multi-item find but that's a valuable piece of uh, hobby history right there absolutely now i don't want to get too philosophical on a late saturday night here um however there are there were some folks i'd say at the convention but i think uh, you'll see where i'm going with this in general people always will come up to me or others that are in this space or even if you're not in it full time, man, how do you, how do you, you know, how do you find stuff? It seems like it's, you know, it's, it just, you're, it's always raining cards. And let me tell you, of course, there's a lot of hard work. But in terms of philosophy, if you ever heard the term to manifest something, I really do believe that now. Meaning, like, you know, when I was a little bit younger, Jeremy, I kind of felt the way that you were suggesting just a few minutes ago. I'm like, wow, you know. Heritage just came up with another find. Matt, that's it. Pack the bags. Like, I guess I'm going to be, you know, a fisherman. There's really, you know, no more cards in the sea. So I guess I'll go after some fish. Um, and the, the point being is that, listen, there was definitely, I think, some turning of the tides with the prices that brought things out, right, from the general public. I believe that uh, wholeheartedly. Um, and I think all the major auction houses would tell you that that was, that's factual as well. Uh, but, you know, as far as, um, you know, what the future holds, you know, no one knows, but there's always like someone in your little niche, right, of group of friends or hobbyists that seem to get more stuff than others. And let's just say it's all equal. Maybe they just manifest it by, you know, wishing and praying or doing the card voodoo dance. But if you had one, I'd say start doing it because I'm doing my exactly Sam, You got it. Uh, but you know, as we're trying to have some fun here on the Saturday night, yeah. but also, you know, maybe bring some philosophy uh, into the mix for sure. Well, Michael here says, keep hope alive. 86 collectible says, I see a Disney movie in the future about finding these cards. That, <laughs> why not? Right. That'd be Clay great. Phillips, good evening to you, Clay. Good to, good to see you here. T dot says secret finds are bittersweet ad supply, but adds attention as well. Yeah, that's true. And then uh, on Instagram, CRT Sports Card said the next 15 years is going to be incredible as collectors of true vintage as those grandparents start to pass away. And by the way, CRT Sports Cards has a polar bear T206 set. He and he will be our guest on the show on March 16th. Christopher, Chris Torres will be joining us. CRT Sports Cards on Instagram, uh, YouTube, and X, Twitter X. All right. Um, Leighton, any questions, comments, topics for Simon and myself uh, to wrap up this version of the Vintage Spotlight? Yes. So just remind me at the end, but I bought something not in the four major sports at the convention that I wanted to share. It's from my PC. I wanted to share that at the end. Uh, but Simon, I did spend some time on your YouTube channel uh, before hopping on tonight. And the two videos that really stuck out to me were the cops video and then the, you know, hobby positivity video. So whichever one you kind of want to talk about, Jeremy, is good with me. But, um, you know, I thought they were they were both interesting. Uh, well, I didn't have enough time to watch them all because you had a bunch. Well, no, that's great. The next, after you leave us tonight, we are going to talk about the hobby positivity video. So oh, why sure. don't we why don't we talk about that? Uh, and that'll be a nice segue for us. And Leighton, do you, uh, yeah, do you have like a specific question for him or I'll give it back to you now? Uh, I guess my question is, what made you make that video in particular? Fair. Uh, it's there's there's a few people out there, but there's one person specifically, by one name, who specifically said like, let's focus on the positivity. Anybody who has negative negative views or has negative content or has negative thoughts, whatever, they're just haters, and they like just ignore them and it feels like they just want to stick their head in the sand because in reality, 
there's good news and there's bad news. And just tell me all the news, right? Whether it's good, sometimes there's more good than bad, and sometimes it's more bad than good. But if you're just so focused on, I want to stay positive, you're going to miss out on news that's relevant that might not be great to hear, but you probably need to hear. So, for example, if someone said, hey, I think card prices are going to come down the next year, a year ago, but you're like, oh, that's negativity. He's a hater. He doesn't understand the hobby. You just stick your head in the sand. You ignore it. And then, well, a year later, here we are, and prices have come down, right? And so you shouldn't want to stick your head in the sand and just ignore stuff you don't want to hear because then you're just in your own little isolation bubble, right? And then the flip side is also true where you there are people out there who create a lot of negative content and it's just negativity and negativity and negativity to the point where they it feels like they're almost only looking for that like for example this uh this this tom brady thing that's happened this week where it's like a photoshopped card uh, of him in the next jersey i i don't understand the up- outrage about this clearly photoshopped card because if you think about this Tom Brady card, it's based on a completely false premise that he that he played for the Expos. It's supported by a commercial that is completely fake where he won six World Series, and yet we're surprised the card is not real. Like, I don't understand how we got there, right? And it just seems like both sides, too much positivity or negativity. Can't we find a middle ground where we just talk about the good things and the bad things with the hobby? Because they both exist. Well, I totally agree with you, Simon. Just to be clear, I'm not a modern guy, but the card is real. Just for those out there that are watching, <laughs> because we don't want anyone to have any misnomers or misinformation from this show, Simon, right? Yeah. We don't want to start a nasty hobby trend. And obviously there's some you know, joking in there. Um, Simon and Jeremy, these are really great points. And certainly, uh, you know, when I watch your video, that's kind of what I was thinking, right? Because I did complete that video. Um, you know, I don't know if there's a right or wrong, but if you wanted to debate it, I certainly would like to, if you're up for that, Jeremy. Debate? You want to debate? Well, debate, what I mean is, is that in terms of, so for example, what perspective are you going to be talking about this from? So in other words, is it from someone who's just consuming the content? Or for example, the angle that I took, Simon, before I hopped on tonight, I'd really thought about this a lot in the last you know several months. What kind of content for example, is Jeremy going to produce in 2024? Or obviously something that I can control. What kind of content am I going to produce? But I can tell you, I don't really think about the short-term financial impact. In other words, does YouTube give me any shekels, right? Is there any advertising or anything like that? And I'm not knocking those that do that. But what I'm saying is I have a two-pronged approach. I really enjoy finding collections. And of course, this is um, self-serving. If you want to read a lot more about these kinds of finds, you can do so on my website, on my blog at blog.justcollect.com. But that's stuff that forget about the buying and selling um, and the, the money from it. I truly enjoy it. The journey, I just put out a 15 minute video, which of course those in the video space know that takes real time and effort to do that. So to me, Simon, even if we don't sell a single card from the video, and we never try to sell cards from the video. I enjoy it. I think based on the response from other people that they enjoy it. And that's only one type of content. And then there's another type of content, which I just did this weekend from the show on White Plains. And the reason I bring it up is because I genuinely and generally believe it was good for the hobby. You and I and Jeremy might realize, of course, you do this at a card show. Of course, you bring a stack of cards. Of course, you bring some cash. Of course, you bring some things for trade. But not everyone necessarily knows that. And so this gentleman was like really kind of skittish. And if you saw the video, he literally didn't crack a smile. He just scored a Jordan Fleer rookie, or not rookie. He just scored a Jordan 86 Fleer for me. And he was like a little bit nervous about the whole thing. But I kind of helped him. I'm like, listen, you could take some of your cards. You could knock down the price. I even showed him the numbers. I didn't cut his value in half because I'm a dealer. I said, I'm like, I'm vintage. I'm going to be able to get the money out. And then all of a sudden, he couldn't take his money out fast enough. So my point is, that's really fun content. But you're right, Simon. I agree with you. If there's things that are going to be beneficial to the hobby that they need to know, well, I think the content should be made about that. But I also believe, listen, I don't want to get all, once again, philosophical, but I really, I've started studying stoicism. And one of the things that Ryan Holiday, who's one of the leaders in the space, talks about is blocking out the noise. And one of his like seven things that he's touting to start, not this year, but every year, is like, I don't need to know everything going on in the news. And he's talking about the whole entire world. So what I'm saying is I'm not going to tell you how to hobby. 
you shouldn't tell me how to hobby. And so as far as hobby positivity or negativity, I kind of agree with you, Simon, in the sense of if there was just one place where I could receive neutral facts and neutral information, that's what I want. But understand that if you go outside of this hobby in the political, like people would think you're out of your mind because that doesn't really exist. And, you know, there's NPR, there's all this other stuff. But maybe, and this is the quote of the show, we need an NPR for baseball cards. I don't know. So, I, I okay, lots there. Appreciate yeah. Lots there, Layton. I love hearing, love hearing your thoughts. So I think when we talk about hobby positivity, hobby negativity, I think that there's a there's a bit there's a nuance, and Simon and I discussed this. There's a nuance between uh, between negative hobby content and reality, real hobby content. So, you know, real. Let let let's think of an example. So, um, counterfeit Michael Jordan, eighty six Fleers trying to be pawned off at the Dallas show last year, whenever that was. That is that's a negative look on the hobby, but it's reality. It's not it's not an opinion. It's not somebody it's not it's not somebody with sour apples because sour grapes because they they lost money on a card. It's not somebody lashing out out of jealousy for people who are doing better than them in the hobby. It's somebody reporting on the the dirty area, like the bad stuff that goes on the hobby, counterfeits trimmed cards and you know people trying to pass off trimmed cards as not trimmed that kind of thing scammers you know people you know group breakers doing things the wrong way all these different things that go on that to me is what i think simon and you Leighton, are saying we need to know about these things we need to know when there are bad actors and what they are doing that is bad so that you can alter your behaviors to make sure you're not going to become victim. I think that's what, and there's a lot of people out there that are, that are sharing on their platforms, these bad actors so that everybody can avoid them. That to me is kind of like that. That's not hobby negativity to me. That is hobby reality. That's just the, that's just the, that is the landscape that we are in. When I, when I think of hobby negativity, rather I think about when I see a YouTube thumbnail that says, Sports cards are crashing, or the hobby is dead. These sorts of things that are clearly not no, I, I won't say sports card prices crash. Like it's clearly not true that the hobby is dead or that the hobby is crashing. Yes, values have come down a lot from 2021. We know that. But the hobby isn't dead. There's more people in it now than there have been for a long time. So when I when I am critical of hobby negativity, it isn't that type of negativity that is um, sharing real news, like the real stories going on and trying to caution people what to avoid in the hobby. I think that that is that is fair, and we need to know that. And there are lots of lots of content creators out there that are producing that. So to me, there's a nuance between hobby negativity and hobby reality the the brady card that you both talked about like like who cares like who who cares so it's photoshop they've been airbrushing and photoshopping cards uh for over 100 years for for decades and decades so who cares but i guess i guess the 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 people that are focusing on that um they need something to talk about and they need they need their clicks and that's a great way to get it so right i mean it's it's the biggest card. The NPR of sports cards, Jeremy. You nailed it. You're right. Because I believe, and I think you both believe this wholeheartedly, that even though there's going to be some negative facts, negative news, that that negative news, as long as it's shared properly, in the end, more people in 10 years and five years, whatever the, the, the number is, we're going to have more people in the hobby net net. And even if we don't, the people that are here will want to be here. They're not going to go anywhere. The foundation is going to be stronger. And so um, I, I agree with you. It's just that you're right, Jeremy. At the end of the day, what's really funny, think about there's only so many, what was it, 84? There's not that many people that actually that can actually even own that Brady card. And assuming that people are going to buy more than one, it's clearly just a case of, as you said, I don't know if it's like you didn't have anything to do. I do respect people who produce content and get paid for it. It's just, I don't, I don't do that. And so for me, 
I'm fortunate and I'm grateful that I'm able to produce content in the hobby about things that I enjoy doing or that I believe is evergreen content. Um, but absolutely, there's going to be negative things. There's going to be neutral things. There's going to be positive things. It would yeah. just be nice to have one source instead of like 19 wow. different ones because right, nothing's regulated. At the end of the day, you know, you guys can say, well, like, hey, this person's the go-to for such and such. But let's be clear. A lot of folks who are in that, you know, position of power or prestige, they've made a mistake. And in some cases, it's been public. Uh, so yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. You know, information and, is key, but we have to figure out how valuable the information is. Well, you're right. There's no certification here. Anybody can, with a mic and a camera can go out there and be a self-proclaimed uh, expert or, or, or not. You can just go there and talk, talk hobby um, if, if you want. Uh, you know, the one, the, the, there's a couple of comments, you know, and, and, you know, Tito says, the more we know, the better. Uh, Michael says, the, the more information, the better. Laura says, sharing is caring. Yeah, I agree with all that, but you really have to be careful who you're listening to because not everybody, not everybody has the same motives. Not everybody knows as much as they claim to know. There are, there's a lot of unknown when you're complaining about, oh, more sticker autographs, well, there's reasons why. If you're complaining that Upper Deck is late on releasing their products, you know, still, you know, sort of a, a pandemic hangover, there's still logistical reasons for this. So you can go out there and, and complain all you want about things, but you're not adding any value because you're, number one, you're not bringing solutions. Why? Because you don't even know what's at the root of the problem you're complaining about. So to me, that's kind of hobby negativity. If you just want to report that, you know, this is what's going on, you know, uh, PSA is now seven months behind on grading, like, you know, I'm talking about back in the pandemic. That's one thing, but don't, but, but don't come with a solution. Like, well, all they need to do is hire more graders or all they need to do is add another shift and run 24 hours around the clock. I mean, that might not be legal. That might not be possible. That might not be et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, you need to really vet the people that you are consuming content from, if you are if you are taking that that kind of mindset that the more information the better sure but i'll caveat that by saying or amend it by saying the more quality and accurate information and informed information the better if i may so that's the yeah. that's the new that's the new tagline for npr hobby right there which one the one you just said the more quality and, yeah the quality content one yeah yeah all right um, all right, guys. Well, Leighton, thank you uh, for joining. Well, this one went long, but always good to have you on and uh, hear yes. your thoughts and ideas. So, guys, follow Leighton on Instagram, Leighton underscore Sheldon, just underscore collect his podcast, Trading Card Therapy. Leighton, any uh, final comments before you go? No, I'm just going to show off these three wrestling programs. First one is a gentleman bought a big wrestling program, I guess, collection in White Plains. This is the first WrestleMania program. Really nice shape. I don't have any intentions of getting it graded, but I am going to get it signed by Hogan. Next up, this is really cool. This is from 1977. It is from Madison Square Garden, one of my favorite venues, and it features a great shot of Andre the Giant just absolutely smashing someone against the ropes, and it's incredible condition. So I picked that one up. And the last one, I just thought this was cool because it, to me, combines wrestling with a little bit of card show, I guess, memorabilia. But this one is the Star Wrestling Program and the typeset up here was kind of similar to the other ones he had. But if you noticed, this one in particular took place on Wednesday, May 11th at the County Center in White Plains, the very place the card show took place today in 2024. Nice. Very cool. And it had Nikolai Volkov. It was kind of fun. Oh, Nikolai Volkov. I remember him. The old AWA days. All right, Nate. Thanks for coming on, buddy. We'll see you uh, next Saturday. Yeah, thanks, uh, Jeremy. Nice meeting you. Um, take care. Thank you. Nice to meet you, too. See you later. Right. See you later, Sorry. man. All right. Simon, uh, we covered off the hobby, hobby positivity discussion. Unless there's anything, a couple comments came in here, and then we'll see if we want to, if you have anything uh, to add here. Uh, Mookie says, you need to be able to find the signal through the noise. True. It's very difficult when anyone on the planet can create content, but this is the world we live in. Very, very true. Uh, Perk says, I'm all for some good point counterpoint, but I will never understand the people who can spend an inordinate amount of time posting negative responses to anything and everything. 
it's a hobby for some people, Perk. So I get it. It's not my, it's not how I do it, but that's some people's, that's their position in life or a position in the hobby. Uh, Orlando, good to see you. Collector's Dream. AIH Sports says, can't we say the same from you? You are sponsored by every company out there, Jeremy. Well, I mean, AIH, um, I understand where you're coming from. I do have several sponsors. I've got Center Stage App. I've got Veriswap, uh, Just Collect, and um, and then I do work for some auction companies. So, But to say I, I am sponsored by every company out there, well, that's conjecture. That's certainly, that. that's just, that's just a, that's false. That That's inaccurate. I go as far as saying that's a lie. Um, but if you, what I encourage everybody to do who does what, who, who is in my shoes, which is you have a, you know, a longstanding uh, uh, portfolio of content going on four years here. And you need to be very transparent about your, about your, your sponsors, your partnerships, your, your, your relationships. I'm a 100% transparent on all of mine there. You can find it anywhere you, you find my content. So I'm not hiding anything and I do my best. I'm not perfect, but I do my best to be transparent and authentic with my thoughts and opinions on things. So, I mean, take that for what it is. And if you don't, if you don't like, sorry, one sec, Simon, if you don't trust yeah. me, stop, just don't watch and listen to me. It's really, it's really that simple. But Simon, what did you want to say? Well, it's funny because you said the exact same thing that I, was, I want to say. I would say, well, yes, Jeremy has sponsors. Like, you know, he needs to pay the bills. But it's very clear at the bottom of his uh, his description. He lists all of them. It's That's fine. It's completely transparent. I don't have an issue with that if you're very clear of what people, who is paying you and who's sponsoring you. It's the ones, like you said, where we're not, uh, like, privy to these sponsorships i think that where where you think you're able to trust someone as being objective and neutral when in fact they're not i think that's 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 where things get a little a little bit dicey yeah no fair enough um yeah uh okay let me just go back here so orlando says i stay positive positive uh aih says so it's an incentive for you to be quote and quote be po- i don't understand what that means that's language i don't understand aih when you're using the word quote Sorry, I don't understand that. He says you were sponsored by PWCC. Uh, not sponsored. I've never been sponsored by PWCC. They are a client of mine, and I do au- live auction. Co- it's like a marketing service that I provide for PWCC and several other auction companies in the space. I don't consider them to be a sponsor. They have nothing to do with sport with tonight's show, Sports Cards Live. I have dedicated, branded content that I do for them as a as a client, just like their bank does. Their their accounting company, their landlord, anyone else, their printing company, whoever supplies them with office supplies. I am sim- I am a service provider for PWCC. Um, okay. Triple V says, live positivity. It's too short to, de- oh, I think you just mean love. It's too short to delve into and hate on negative. Filter what makes sense to you. Exactly. Watch what resonates with you. Consume what resonates with you. Positive, negative, it's entertainment half the time. Enjoy it. Enjoy the entertainment, but be try to try to use some critical thinking to, you know, filter like, okay, that was funny. That was entertainment. I'm not going to take it too seriously. But out of that, what, that, that eight-minute video or that 60-minute video, there were a couple of nuggets of really good stuff in that, in that video. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to add that to my my knowledge base of the hobby, right? I think I think that's a great approach. What do you think, Simon? I think that's right. I, uh, for example, just going back to like the Brady card, I had no idea that that content was made because I focus on the type of content creators that appeal to me and that gives me the type of information that I wanted. It was just when a couple of people said like, oh, can you believe this is actually happening? We're like, it is? Who actually thought this? And so I also filter my content to the level, the quality, the tone, that appeals to me and if it doesn't then i just do uh delete and please youtube don't give me any more of that <laughs> <laughs> please algorithm work with me uh my yeah. favorite name in the chat far from pukin says collect what you want and don't listen to the haters or people just in it for the money it's a hobby to a lot of collectors yeah and that's great i mean that's the beautiful thing right is that it's for a lot of us who you know if you've been in this thing for it doesn't matter how long You've been in it for two weeks. It can be your hobby. You've been in it like me for 
44 years this year, I guess it's my life. Like this hobby is like, it's literally my lifestyle as the song says at the beginning of the show. Um, and I've said it before, you know, I like, I sleep very well at night knowing that I'm as authentic as I can be in my, in my content. My collection is always being constantly curated. Um, I, I, I just love it. I love the cards. I love the, I love the community, the content, creating it, all of it. Uh, the hobby with cage says to AIH, uh, love you, but being sponsored by a company doesn't make you guilty of the transgressions of that company. I was sponsored by PWCC for a while too. Doesn't mean I ever trimmed a card or shield. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, the, the transitive property doesn't really apply. Like, you know, for example, if I have somebody on my show who goes off and does something bad, uh, does that make me guilty by association? Well, if it does, then Barbara Walters is a gangster and a terrorist and a spy because she 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 interviewed all those people. But I don't think that anyone uh, thinks that Barbara Walters uh, was that kind of person. So yeah, I agree with Cage here. Uh, it doesn't uh, make you guilty of the transgressions of that company. However, you I do think still that you need to consider who you are aligning with, and and if you are okay with it. That's fine. If 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 you're if some of if someone out there isn't, that's fine too. You can uh, you can you know proceed how how and and in what manner makes most sense to you. Uh, all right, Dan. So hey, no worries that you're late, buddy. And I know the the Green Bay San Francisco game is going on right now as well. I've been checking in on the score here as we've been going, and I see now that it is twenty one seventeen Green Bay three thirty eight left in the fourth. All right. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.